Hello, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you here in the North Sanctuary, South Sanctuary Speedway and our online campus. We are in week three of a nine-week series where we have officially pitched a fight with our spiritual enemy who has our families back to the mat. We are down for the count, but we have decided to fight back in Jesus' name, which gives us an unfair advantage. Can I get an amen? It gives us an unfair advantage. So if you're sitting next to your mate, you're sitting next to your kids, members of your family, if you're single, if you're with a friend, I'm gonna invite you to join hands together as a show of solidarity online, Speedway here at Lenexa. It's a show of solidarity as each week we shout out with deep conviction, something that Joshua, who led Israel, shouted out to them to encourage them to walk with God in their families. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. We're going to put it on the screen with hands held. Say it out loud with me, with conviction. Ready? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hmm. There was a, um, a husband who came home after a very long and horrible day. And when he entered into the house, he said to his wife, I have had nothing but bad news all day. If there's one thing I don't need anything more of, it's bad news. His wife gently replied, then you'll be pleased to know that three out of your four children today didn't break their arm. <laughs> Being a dad can be exasperating. Can I get an amen, dads? It can be exasperating with all the weight that we are carrying and all the expectations upon us. But if we have any desire for our families to stay together, men, we must man our post. Men, we must man our post. If we abandon ship or underfather, there is no way in heaven that our families are going to make it. And I hear some of you saying, oh, Thank goodness we have the moms. They'll fill in for us. And yeah, they're really good. They're good. No doubt about it. They're really good. But I have looked at the facts, the raw facts, over and over again. I've turned them upside down. I squinted to try to get them to say something different, and it just won't do it. That men are essential. And I'm going to read some stats to you. Maybe you've seen them before. My, my goal is not to put undue pressure on you. My goal is to not bury you in a pile of guilt if this is not your story, but I need to get the truth out about the role of dads in our world according to the design of God. Here's the facts. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. Number two, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 72% of adolescent murderers grew up in fatherless homes. 60% of American rapists grew up in fatherless homes. It is just a fact. And this is what I think God was seeking to tell Moses, through Moses, to the people of Israel and to us today, of what it means for uh, that, 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 he, that there's punishing of the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. The sins of the father. Consider the life of Abraham, one of the best dudes we got working for us, right? He had a propensity, even as a good guy, to lie. 
Guess what? His son Isaac was a liar. Guess what? Isaac's son Jacob was a liar. Guess what? All of Jacob's sons were liars. It's four generations. When they threw little Joseph under the bus, sold him into slavery, and lied to their dad who got a dose of his own medicine. How does that feel, Jacob? Right? The reality is the impact of a father positively or negatively, passes on to your child, whether you like it or not, in the form of baggage that they are going to carry with them into their life. They will either do the same thing you have done, like in the case of Abraham, or what you did to them, they will have a violent reaction and do just the opposite. It'll have a crippling effect on them, and either way, they will bring that into their adult life. And pretty soon, after generation after generation after generation, we have a pretty punked and dysfunctional society, which I'm going to suggest is where we are at today. And one of our main missions during this series is to say, this has got to stop. We have got to stop the negative pattern of generational sins and rather move to a generational pattern of God's righteousness flowing through us. And I am suggesting that today, men, whether you're married or not, that it's going to start with you. We are going to start something new. Amen? Amen. It's available. It's possible in the name of Jesus. So the core passage of Scripture today for fathers. I mean, the single sort of most targeted passage in the New Testament for fathers is found in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. I'm going to invite you to commit it to memory. It's God's word for you. I'm going to put it on the screen and just ask the men at Speedway as well as online. I can hear you. Shout out with me. Ready, men? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are two parts to this verse. There is a, a positive instruction, and then there is sort of a negative challenge. And I want to begin with the positive. Men, we are to train up. We are to train up our children in the instructions of the Lord. It is not my responsibility as the pastor. It's not our children's ministry. It is primarily a responsibility laid upon you, which I know is a bit overwhelming. Love to partner with you on it, but it's your responsibility at the end of the day. And a good father has an intentional plan about how they're going to approach the raising of their children. A good father... Um, uh, does not enter into the life of being a father without some idea of what their approach is. And so I'd like to just give you four recommendations, sort of low-hanging fruit, everybody can do this kind of thing, that I think will have a powerful impact in training your children up in the instruction of the Lord. And I offer these up to you now as a mature father who has raised four children who have now left the nest and, get this, are off of my payroll. Ba, ba, boom. I could buy you lunch if I wanted to today. I've got so much money, you know. <laughs> but I'm not. Okay. Here we go. Number one. Okay. Number one. Lead out on church. Lead out on church. Okay. Listen up. I am a guy. Okay. I'm not a, just a pastor, but before that, I'm a guy. And I'm going to say something that might not sound right. You're probably not going to believe it but I'm gonna say it, and I think guys, you'll understand this. 
I would rather right now be golfing. <laughs> Shot a 75 yesterday. It's not bragging if it's true. <laughs> uh huh. I'd like to be out there right now. For some of you, it's not golfing, it's hunting or it's fishing, it's hiking, it is biking. The reality is, this is good, but that's better, right? But what I have discovered is that there's something undeniably powerful when a man identifies the priority to give the Lord the first fruits of their time. Give the Lord the first fruits of their time. The same principle with time applies to our finances and our resources. Remember back in Cain and Abel, they offered up a sacrifice to the Lord. God accepted Abel's sacrifice but rejected Cain's. Why? It wasn't the content of their offering. No. It was because Abel offered up the first fruits, the best of what he had. And Cain, it says that he offered up some of his crops. He gave God the leftovers, and God rejected it. Sunday is the first day of the week, and when you decide to give the Lord the first fruits of your time, you're sending a signal not only to God, but to your children of what really matters to you. And don't you dare. Don't you dare under any circumstances let your wife lead in this area. If your wife says, hey, it's time for church, you say, back up, honey bun. That's my job. Kids, we're going to church. <laughs> you give that responsibility to her, you know? Put your pants on. Man up. Make God the center of your family. Make God the center of your life. And you send a message to your kids. And I promise you, over a long period of time, they'll get it. They will. It'll have an impact on them, and it will honor God. It's not that hard. You get out of bed, you go to church. Okay? We can do a training class on it if you need. <laughs> Number two, ready? Keep growing. Keep growing. You can't drop your kids off at church on Sunday and be a jerk the rest of the week. You got to keep growing. Your kids need to see that you are in a perpetual journey to become more and more like Jesus got to keep growing. Even at my stage in life, I am trying to keep growing. You need to keep growing. And as you keep growing, it's going to rub off on your kids. The spiritual life is not so much taught as it is caught, men. You don't have to have a theological degree like mine. My kids have fallen asleep during most of my sermons growing up as a pastor, right? <laughs> But they watch me Monday through Saturday to see if I really believe it. And that rubs off on them. Another thing that happens is that when you do seek to instruct them with your wisdom from the word of God, they're going to listen to you. It's not going to fall on deaf ears. Because when you live as a hypocrite, you can't like shove righteous stuff all up in their grill when you're not even trying. Right? And not only that, but becoming more like Jesus is just flat out going to make you a better man and a better father. It is the way to live your life. I've heard someone say there's a difference between 15 years experience and one year's experience repeated 15 times. Every year as a man, every year 
as a husband, every year as a dad, you're seeking, even at my stage, you're seeking to let the Lord take you to another level. Okay, that's number two. Now for number three, are you ready for it? Ready, here it comes, wait for it, wait for it. Love your wife. All the women said, woo! It has been said, and I believe it to be true, that the number one thing that your children want from you is to know that you are unashamedly and undeniably in love with mom. It is. It's the number one thing. Research shows it over and over again. And when you do this, it will give your kids an overwhelming sense of security about who they are. And when they seek to leave your nest, they will be able to fly out of that deep sense that they know who they are. And that comes from mom and dad being okay. When you place your children above your mate or pit your children against your mate, you may think that you're giving your kids priority, but you are undermining their lives and giving them a deep sense of insecurity. And instead of enabling them to fly, you are clipping their wings. Number three. Number four, pretty simple. Talk about low-hanging fruit. Have dinners with your family. You guys know if you've been around a while, this is a high priority for me. If my four kids, actually I had them here. Uh, If you were here for that, if not, look it up online. All four of my grown kids were here and they would tell you the number one thing that I made a priority of, it wasn't until my daughter turned 11, so I wasn't right on top of it. As they said, the dinners we had as a family was number one. And this is helpful because Columbia University several years ago did a study and they said, we have discovered the number one thing you can do to mitigate your kids being involved in drugs, alcohol abuse, gang involvement, and premarital sex. Let me say it again, and we're gonna ask you, are these things you would like for your children to avoid? Ready, here we go. Uh, Drugs, alcohol abuse, gang involvement, premarital sex. Raise your hand all over the room, online, if you'd like your children to avoid these things. Do I have anybody? Yeah, there we go, there we go, right? So, you want this for your kids, way to go. You know, entry-level intelligence, right? (laughs) But if I were to say to you, What's the number one thing you can do? Number one thing you can do to mitigate their involvement in these things. There would be no way you would not do this, right? Here's what they concluded. Have at least five dinners a week with your family. So, so, whoa, 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 whoa. There is no way. Yahweh. God will enable you to do it. You said, no, you don't understand. We have soccer practice. I read the research, and it does not say soccer practice helps them in any way, shape, or form as much as dinners. What I would do is find a different sport. I would find a different team. I would find anything to have my kids at a loving dinner table at least five nights a week. You know how many I'd go for? Seven. But we're just asking for five out of your deep love for your children. Why? What Columbia University said is that, um, is that when kids don't have that sense of belonging from you, 
they go looking for it in other places and they get involved in these detrimental things, not because they're stupid, but because their sense of belonging is way more important than the potential downsides of getting involved in these things. But they said, whenever they have a sense that they have a seat at your table, the table they've always wanted to be a part of, they've always wanted to belong, they don't go looking for it in all the dark and dirty places. Now, I know this is old-fashioned, but uh, I always sit at one head of the table, and Roseanne sits at the other head of the table, always. Someone said, it's more important for our children to know who's at the head of the table than who is the head of our country. And I agree with that. And one other thing, this is not of the Lord. Paul would use that phrase. This is not of the Lord. This is not instructions in Scripture. So it's just my personal advice to you, something that I have done. So if you don't do it, you're not being disobedient. I think you're being silly, but not disobedient. (laughs) I never pass the saying of grace to anyone else. I always say it unless it's my birthday. (laughs) I take one week off, one day off the entire year. Why? Because I, and I learned this from Roseanne's dad, because there is something immensely powerful about a man who is willing to humble himself in front of his wife and children and acknowledge that without God, you would have jack squat nothing. You don't have to have flowerly language. Bless us for your service and the this or that. You don't have to do any of that. All you need to say is, God, man, we're so grateful for this grub. Without you, we'd have nothing. Amen. Pretty rough, right? We can put that in a training video as well if you need it, right? <laughs> it's not the words. It's the humility. That's what your children want to see from you is Humility. They want to see that God is important in your life. Okay, that's the positive stuff. (laughs) Now for the challenge, the Father's Day challenge. Here it is. We were invited to train up, and now we're being invited to shut up. Put it up on the screen. Shut up. There it is. Yeah, yeah, that's actually it. It says... Fathers, do not exasperate your children. The word exasperate comes from the Latin root word asper, which means rough or to be rough. A a father who exasperates their children uh, means that you irritate them, you become unreasonable, you crush the spirit, you suck the life out of a person. Now, children, as we started off with, can be very exasperating, but it doesn't have long-term consequences. But for a man... To be exasperating their children has long-term consequences. You know what we call it today? We call it daddy issues. Daddy issues. Now, there's more than one brand of exasperating. There are many different ways or forms that you can use to suck the life out of your children and even your adult children today. And by the way, your style almost always comes from your father or a reaction to your father or lack of a father thereof. And they will either mimic your behavior or do the exact opposite. So I'm gonna share three ways to exasperate your children. And I want you to identify which of the three best describes you. 
And if you're courageous, which Westside men are, and if you're guests, I'm not expecting this of you, but Westsiders, I would double dog dare you to ask your mate and your children. Maybe not during the service, we don't have enough security on hand, okay? <laughs> but you might wanna ask them a bit later if you are courageous. 360 review here. <laughs> so I was sharing with Roseanne these three uh, items, three ways to exasperate your children. I was looking for no personal feedback. No personal feedback. When I got to one of them, she raised her eyebrow and put that little smirky grin on her face. So as to say, you might want to do a little deeper dive on that one for yourself personally. So I am a fellow exasperator. But before I share with you these three things, I want to give you a little bit of my story because I think in hearing my story, uh, it might sort of give you some perspective as to why one of the three is a struggle for me. Uh, my dad uh, grew up in a poor area in southwest Pennsylvania. Uh, he had a single mom, and he was one of 11 children. My dad never knew who his biological father even was because my grandmother would never tell him. Even on her deathbed, she refused to tell my father who his biological dad was, which means my last name would not be Frazee if we knew. I think the reason she did not tell him is either because she did not know, because it was a clear known fact that there were multiple fathers involved in the 11 children, or she did know and she didn't want my dad to have any contact with this individual. My dad did not have the security of growing up with a loving dad, and he did not get any role modeling or guidance, he was essentially on his own. And I struggled with my dad, as many of you have struggled with your dad, until, and actually I just remembered who it was, George Gallup of the Gallup Poll. I was in a, a cool mentoring relationship with him, and I was talking about something he picked up that I may had issues with my dad. And he said, uh, tell me your story. I told him the story. He said, your dad uh, started off on day one at negative 50. He started off at negative 50. You need to give your dad some grace because he didn't ask to be born into this world under these circumstances. And to my dad's credit, which has helped me process this through, to my dad's credit, when my brother was eight and I was three, he moved us out of this very impoverished area where a lot of junk was going on to Cleveland, Ohio in search for a better life. And he stayed married to my mom until the day she died at the age of 61 from pancreatic cancer. But here's the challenge. My dad didn't know Jesus. He did not have the strength or power or guidance of Jesus behind him. And so therefore, he was flying blind. His heart was in a good place, but he didn't know what to do. I had a dad who provided for me all the days of my life. I never went hungry, never went without shoes. My dad even coached my little league team. But where my dad struggled is on how he treated my mother. He didn't know how he treated my mother. And I'll tell you this, I would have asked my dad to not coach any of my little league teams or even show up for that matter if he would just treat my mother differently. If you just respect her and love her and cherish her, but he never figured it out. And as a vulnerable little boy growing up, this brought a tremendous amount of tension into our home and particularly at night when we were in bed my parents would break out into an all-out fight. 
And I tried to put the pillow over my head to drown out the sound, but it didn't work. And oftentimes my dad would go two weeks in our home without ever saying a word to my mother. And it created in me an insecurity. I refer to it as a little box deep in my soul that carries a lot of wounds. And you don't want to open that box. You do not want to open that box. So when I grew up, I packed my bags, I packed my clothes, I also packed this baggage with me and I took it into my adult life, I took it into my marriage, and I took it into my role as a dad. That's my story. Now let me share with you the three and see if you can guess which one's mine and which one's yours. Number one, the writer. The writer. God loves fathers. And good fathers love their children like God the Father does. And therefore, they're not only encouraging to them, but they discipline them, they confront them, and they challenge their children when it's necessary. And a healthy fear that your children have for you is, in fact, a good thing. In the end, your kids don't primarily need another friend. They have plenty of them. What they need is a dad. They need a father, and a father disciplines and challenges and confronts when necessary. But a writer makes two mistakes. Number one, everything to them is a capital offense. You're irritated. You're upset. So if your children kill somebody, death. Death penalty. If they spill a glass of milk, death. I mean, everything to you is like this big thing. And the second thing is, is that you ride them so hard that it crushes their spirit. And as a result, you tip from having a healthy fear of you to an unhealthy fear of you. And what is going to happen is that they're going to hold back from you. And when they hold back from you, you're not going to know what's going on in your kid's life. Because they're afraid if they have an honest conversation with you, you're going to blow up. And who knows what is going to come out of your mouth and it exasperates them it's rough the second type is called the breaker write that down the breaker and by breaker i mean you're a promise breaker you say the right things you're positive you have good intentions but you don't deliver on what you promise and over time that exasperates kids the third one is called the Avoider. As an avoider, you just don't deal with things, either because you're worn out or you have too many uh, bigger fish to fry, or more likely, it's because you can handle conflict and just hope it will go away or work itself out. And whenever you avoid necessary conflict, and you don't show up with a mature solution, when you do not set appropriate boundaries on a timely basis, what ends up happening is it exasperates your children. It exasperates your family, and things always get worse. You probably guessed it. 
I, Randy Frazee, am prone to be an avoider. Yeah, I'm a avoider because of the pain that I carried in my life for all these years. And when tension arises in the home, whether there is conflict or whether there are arguments, that little box, it opens up. And I have all of these toxic senses and feelings and I don't want to go there. I want to cover it up. I want to put it back in the box. And this is the primary way in which I have injured and exasperated my family over the years. Guess what I did? I then turned around at the age of 20 and married an Italian woman (laughs) who's not afraid of conflict. (laughs) She not only speaks lots of words with her mouth, but she speaks with her hands like this, you know? You know, if you don't want conflict, man, don't, don't be dating any Italian women, that's for sure, right? But I can tell you, Roseanne's persistency with us putting things on the table and making me stay at the table has helped me to recover. Now, those are the three. Which one best describes you? Okay, rider, breaker, avoider. But here's the good news that I want to share with you. In Christ, you can take this junk out of your bag. <laughs> when I was uh, raising our kids, I, d- I did it inadvertently at first, but then it became a pattern. Whenever I had something that I wanted to bless my kids with or something I wanted to encourage them and how proud I am of character or just something that they did, I would invite them out to the backyard where we had a wicker set. And I would sit them down and, or I'd call them out, Jennifer, David, Stephen, Austin, Come to the wicker set. They would run because they knew if you got called to the wicker set, it was good news. And I would say, I'm so proud of you. Someone mentioned this to me. I saw this in you. And I just want you to know as your dad, I'm so proud of you. And it was a wonderful moment, wonderful moment. But because I've been given the responsibility, and as a voider, this is hard for me, I've also been given the responsibility to challenge my children when they need to be challenged. And so whenever I had to challenge them. I never called them to the wicker set. I always called them to my office and invited them to sit on the ottoman. They they were always a little slower getting to the ottoman. And uh, I would always wait for them to come in. They would sit and then I would take the chair and rise it up above so as to look down on them. You say, that's intimidating. Darn right it is. And that's the authority position that I've been given by God, and I thought the physical space should communicate that. And uh, I would have to challenge them. And uh, it always turned out to be a good thing, a loving thing, a necessary thing, something that my kids to this day would say, we are grateful we had a dad who told us how the cow ate the cabbage, who got up in their grill, Another thing I learned, 29 years of being a dad, is there were occasions, more than one, when I called my children into my office and I wasn't sitting in the office chair. But when they came in, I was sitting on the ottoman because I mistreated their mom in front of them. I broke a promise I avoided them. 
drop the ball. And I asked them if they would forgive me. And what I've learned is that if you will not let a lot of grass grow underneath your feet on these things as a dad, that you will eliminate this mistake you've made. You don't have to be perfect. It'll eliminate this mistake you made, exasperating them and putting it into their daddy issue bag when you grow up. And one other thing I discovered is that um, you need 10 wicker encounters for every one Ottoman encounter. 10 wicker encounters for every one Ottoman encounter. And I think one of the problems that us dads have is that we have too many Ottoman experiences and not enough wicker experiences. And I remember when I need to call my kids into the office to the Ottoman, I would ask myself, how many wicker experiences have I put into the bank account before I offer up this Ottoman experience? Because if I don't have enough in the bank, this is not going to go well. To be confronted by a dad, you first have to be blessed by your dad. So here is the Father's challenge. I offer it up to you. Memorize it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Let's put it on the screen and ask everyone now to shout it out online. Speedway here at Lenexa. Ready? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So men, how do we begin? How do we change the narrative? of dads in our lives. Well, I can tell you, you don't do it by ignoring it. You don't deal with it by getting angry or bitter at your father, but rather you recognize that God, your father, wants to talk to you. I believe today that God, the father, is calling men to the wicker. He's calling you to the wicker that your heavenly father wants to say something to you that maybe your earthly father failed to tell you. So men, I invite you to come to the wicker set to hear what your father has to say to you today. And so I'm going to invite men, young boys, fathers. I'm going to invite you to, if you want to receive this, if you want to stop passing junk down to the next generation, if you want a fresh start, if you want to receive this blessing, I'm going to ask you, I know, I can't believe I'm going to do this, I'm going to ask you to come right down to the front. And I want to tell you something that the Father wants to tell you. A blessing he wants to give you. Something that you need to hear. And if you are willing to receive it, then as we stand and sing this song of worship, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. If you're in the South Sanctuary, you can go down to the front or you can just walk over next door here to the front of the North Sanctuary Speedway, come down to the front. If you're online, uh, men, just stand up and, uh, 
and uh, I'll come back in just a second. So let's be standing. Any men in this place that would like to receive this blessing, to hear this word? Young men, fathers, single dads, come on down to the front. Squeeze in really tight. I thought there were going to be three of you. Oh, ye of little faith. Come on. That's right, women. Come on. Enemy's not liking this one. Dig in closer. Come on. Off to the side here, lake room. Come on. That's good. Holy cow. Come on tighter. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. So I didn't expect this. So those of you who are sitting out there, uh, particularly you women, you got to be a bit encouraged by this, right? Right? This will change all of that out there. This will change all of that out there. And so I'm going to first of all offer up a prayer for these men because they don't like to do this stuff. Some of them are like, I can't even believe I moved. It's a little bit of a peer pressure thing right now, but I'm hoping I don't regret this. It's be the worst Father's Day ever. I don't think it's going to be that. So I'm going to invite you in the audience, particularly you women, if, you're, if you see what's going on here, you want to encourage us. When I pray, I want you to extend a hand to these men. Let's pray. Father, I am so moved by the courage of these men. And right now, in this moment, this tender moment, we need you as our Father. There's a lot of grown men here who carry a lot of responsibility. They're weary. They're tired. They don't know if they're going to make it. Right now, we need to come to you as a little boy just trying to find our way. We're broken. We're struggling. And Father, I believe with all of my heart that today you have a word for them, each and every one of them. And I invite you, Father, to open up that little box. Yeah. That carries a lot of the junk that's been holding them back and tearing them down and exasperating the people around them and let it out and replace it with something new. We pray this in the name of your Son who made all of this possible, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Men, I want you to put your hands in a receiving position. This is signaling to God that you want to receive. Okay? If you don't want to receive it, keep your hands in your pocket. Okay? The very first thing that you need to do if you're going to move forward is that you cannot move forward with bitterness and anger in your heart. Can't do it. 
you gotta let it go, particularly as it relates to your dad. You do. I can tell you that he wants to be forgiven. Some of you, your dads are already gone and it's still affecting you. Can't move on without forgiving them. Yeah. So right now, I just want you to say from your heart, maybe hard, I forgive you, Dad. Okay, say it. Yeah. You can't move on if you're going to carry a bunch of shame from your own life and your own decisions. And here's what God wants me to tell you. He watched all of it. Every mistake you have made, every time you mistreated the one you, would, you said you would love till death do you part, every time you exasperated your kids, every time you dropped the ball, every time you broke a promise, he said he saw, he's seen it all, all of it. And here's what he wants me to tell you. He's got you covered. That he's already covered all of these mistakes when he sent his son to the cross. And he wants you to know that he's already forgiven you. He's already forgiven you. All you got to do is ask him. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us like of any of them. Restore us. So right now, I just want you to say, Father, forgive me. Say it. Father, forgive me. Done. Check. Move on. And here's what God the Father wants to say to you. He said, you've forgiven your father. I've forgiven you. Now it's time for you to forgive yourself. It's time. You can't change the past. Nothing you can do about it. I know some of you, you know, are really struggling with that, but you got to forgive yourself. So I just want you to say it. I forgive myself. Say it. I forgive myself. I hope that feels good. And I hope you believe it. Here's what God the Father wants me to tell you. Is that he loves you. He will not abandon you. He will not abuse you. He will not avoid you. And that he will not break any of his promises to you. Here's what God the Father wants me to tell you. Believe it. He's actually proud of you. If nothing else, he's proud of the fact that you stepped out and you are right here, right now. He's proud of you. He wants me to tell you that there's no one like you. He remembers you as a little boy. That's how he sees you. And there's no one that touches his heart quite like you do. God the Father wants me to tell you this. Is that he blesses you. He blesses you. And it's within his power and it's within his desire to bless you even more. Yeah. But he needs you to follow him. Just follow him. If you're interested in that, man, I'm going to ask you now to take your hands and stick them high over your head. Come on, you could do it. And I want you to shout out, lead me. Ready? One, two, three. Lead me. Yeah. Women, that's how men talk. On the count of, let's do it again. Let's go. One, two, three. Lead me. Yeah. Lead me. God blesses you. Live for him. 
pass this blessing on to your wife. Pass this blessing on to your children and to your children's children. And by golly, in the name of Jesus, we will each be able to reclaim our families. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's give it up to all of our men that have come forward. You guys can go back to your seat as we continue in our worship of God. Let's give it up for him, guys. Way to go.